Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays and Wednesdays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so happy to have Liren Baker of Kitchen Confidant here on the show today. Liren is a mother of two and has lived in major food cities including New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and now in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her blog Kitchen Confidant gives her the opportunity to express her creativity through photography and of course her recipes and the stories behind them. Thank you so much for being here today, Liren. Thank you, Gabriel. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Well, you started your blog in 2010, but write that it has been over 15 years in the making. Can you share what you mean by this? I think that leading up to 2010, there were so many cooking experiences from that first scrambled egg that you make when you're like six or seven leading up to it and you just learn so much along the way and there's so many experiences that mold and shape you as a person and as a cook that yeah I was just constantly collecting archiving you know recipes I have this big binder of stuff (laughs) and I just felt like you know what when I started the blog I was revisiting some of those and also just taking all the life lessons that I had learned along the way and started implementing it more into my cooking. So that's what I kind of mean about it's been in the making for quite a while. (laughs) It sounds like a long time though. Well, I mean, I guess you were kind of keeping a blog sort of offline and you didn't really realize that you were actually just, you know, blogging, but not actually online. That's true. (laughs) Now, you have recipes that include baking and desserts, savory dishes, condiments and beverages. Can you share what your process is from having an idea of what you want to make to getting it up on the blog? Oh boy. Well, when you say it like that, it makes me realize, wow, I don't really have a niche, do I? (laughs) But from concept to fruition, it could be anything. Sometimes the inspiration comes from my family and they say, hey, you know, I'm really craving this thing that I tried. Like for example, there was a salad that my husband tried when he was traveling and he's like, it was so good. Do you think you can make that? And so I'll think about it. And that would start the ball rolling. You know, you start shopping for ingredients, see if it's in season, if it'll work at the time of year. And, you know, again, like many bloggers, you just start testing the recipes and that can take a while. (laughs) And then you photograph them writing the content. And then finally, posting it on the blog, it doesn't just stop there because, you know, you push it out there and share it with everybody and hopefully share it again later, maybe a year or two down the line. So it could be something as simple as, you know, someone asking me what to do, or I might go back in time and think, oh my gosh, you know, when I was growing up, I really, really enjoyed these like steamed buns and I'd never had a chance to make it. Let me challenge myself and try it. So I kind of pull from different experiences and sometimes it can be something as simple as, going to the market and I'll see, oh my gosh, there's late cheese in season. Let me see what I can do with them. It doesn't always work out. (laughs) Right. But at least you try. At least you try. Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, blogging is quite involved from the writing, the photography, the food styling and well, recipe testing and all that stuff. You've been blogging now for around five years. 
what do you find the most challenging about blogging and what comes the most naturally to you? The most challenging thing about blogging, honestly, is not stopping. <laughs> I think it's hard. When you're so passionate about something, you just kind of live, breathe, you know, you just really nerd out and that's all you do. And then as it evolves and if it becomes you know, a business, you don't really take a break. And I think so for me, the challenge has always been, okay, I need to take a break. Like, I'm going to cook for the sake of cooking, you know, and, and not necessarily feel like I have to photograph this and, you know, spend the weekend enjoying my time with my family and enjoying the food instead of worrying, oh my gosh, should I get the shot? You know, oh, I need to set it up. Nobody touched the food. <laughs> for me, that's the biggest challenge. The part that comes the most naturally, I think it has to be the writing, just because, I just write from the heart. I don't necessarily stress over what I'm going to say. You know, if it's not flowing, because that, you know, of course happens. <laughs> if it's not flowing, I don't stress about it. I table it. And I try not to put any pressure on myself there. But for me, I feel like that's the smoothest part. Now, you were talking about just a little bit earlier that, you know, when blogging becomes sort of an all-encompassing thing, you know, it kind of sort of adds a little bit of pressure to when you cook. Do you still find cooking fun? I do. <laughs> I think you will burn out. No matter how much you love something, there's burnout. And when that happens, I just remember to take a step back. But I know I love cooking. I think it's fun. There's always something new to learn. And I think the problem with me is I don't go back to the foods that I know I love and, you know, because I just want to always do something new. So for my family, they might be like, oh, can't you make that thing again? I'm like, no, I'm boring. We've done that already. Let's move on. <laughs> so I find it fun and fascinating. You're like the complete opposite to like the way that I grew up. You know, my parents had like these standard like four or five dishes. And even now today, I have these standard like four to five dishes that are like go-tos. And experimenting is sort of like something that is, a, I guess, not as common in my household. So I definitely applaud you for definitely always pushing the boundaries. Well, I think there's something to be said about having your core dishes that you can always go back to because that's the comfort food, right? You just want to make it over and over again. For sure. Well, on Kitchen Confidant, you share anything you find truly worthy of a place in the kitchen, whether it's an ingredient or wine or recipe. Is there something you covered on the blog that is totally awesome, but maybe didn't get as much love that you'd like to share? Yeah, of course. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Where are the readers now? I think you can never predict what is going to be interesting or some people would call it viral. There are some dishes that I'll put out there that I'm like, okay, no one's going to care at all. Even if I like it, no one's really going to care, but I'm going to put it up there anyway. And it just goes nuts, you know, and that always surprises me. But yeah, there are some things like, you know, there are certain like cakes, for example, that, you know, I grew up eating and I might expect that it's going to do okay. And it just kind of flops. So when that happens, and I think that happens a lot, like, you know, in the beginning, you put all of these amazing recipes out there that you've been dying to share and not, you don't necessarily have the readership yet. So I think lately I've been kind of revisiting those old ones and putting them out again, redoing them and resharing them. And I've been surprised by a few of those too. So you just never know. Yeah, it's an awesome idea just to revisit some of the older stuff. Because I mean, now that, you know, there are more people reading, you know, they probably, you know, don't go as far back as, you know, they would. And I don't want them to. <laughs> don't look. Oh, no. <laughs> now, you mentioned that, you know, you've been collecting recipes offline for a long time, ever since you were little. How did you learn to cook? Well, I should start by saying my mom was not a good cook. She hated cooking. 
baking was her thing and she loved to bake every Saturday we would bake together or I would think I was baking with her (laughs) but she would bake and I would watch and cooking she hated so I really actually didn't learn how to cook until later on I was around 18 when she died she had cancer and so it was really just you learn out of necessity I have a younger brother and sister and they're you know eight and nine years apart I'm older. (laughs) And so I felt this responsibility for my family to feed them and as well as my dad. And so he wasn't really much of a cook either. So I spent that summer that she passed away with trailing my aunts because she spent that summer with us and she would just cook for us because she knew that she needed to nourish us. So I just would pepper her with questions and I knew I needed to write this down. So it was my aunt who taught me how to cook. And a lot of the recipes that are of Filipino roots come from her because in my mind, she was like the best cook on my mom's side. So I was able to relive a lot of those family recipes slowly but surely. And so it was partially because I needed to feed my family and also because I wanted to finally learn. And I think I realized around that time that, wow, you know what? I love this. Cooking is not so bad. Mom, what are you talking about? And I was actually pretty good at it. So that's kind of how it all started for me. Right. And when you were starting to sort of develop your own cooking voice, were there certain people that you looked up to, whether they were, you know, chefs or cookbook authors or bloggers? Were there certain people that sort of inspired you? So I guess around that time, aside from my aunts, I think Food Network was really just starting and, you know, growing. So Ina, of course, I mean, everyone bows down to Ina and I'm not an exception. I loved her. I just loved her approachability. I loved how she was so down to earth. And I liked how her recipes were reliable. So she's definitely one of the ones that I enjoyed watching at the time. And Julia Child growing up, I would watch her and Martin Yan and the Frugal Gourmet, Jeff, whatever his name is. Like when I was growing up, I would actually watch those shows. And I remember my mom would watch them too. That was the funny thing. She hated cooking, but she would watch those shows and she would take notes. <laughs> like, maybe that she was a budding cook. I don't know. But yeah, I guess it would be those guys. Well, you've lived in some of the foodiest cities in the world. You know, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and now in the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, even though these places are within the United States, would you say that they have different approaches to food and different food cultures? I do, actually. I think also part of it depends on the time that you live there. Like my upbringing was in New York. I was born and raised there. But it's also very much a melting pot. And I feel like when you grow up in New York, you are exposed to so many different cuisines, so much good food that is not necessarily expensive. You can go to all these wonderful little enclaves where there's the most amazing like Taiwanese food or Peruvian food and you know you could just explore to your heart's content so I do whereas you know Chicago lives its own beast I mean it was a food town to the max but in a totally different way and there was a different pride to it you know very wholesome very midwestern very big (laughs) you know that's what I remember I think now it's probably different because I think the food climate has changed overall And, you know, L.A., of course, had its own vibe. Um, And at the time, I think things were really getting very green and healthy and things like that. San Francisco, of course, you know, if you live here for a while, you just can't help but be influenced by it. I think my eating has changed so much, which means my cooking has changed so much. I think from the time that I moved to California till now, there's just no way that it's not going to impact you. 
Well, that kind of leads into my next question. Which city do you feel has had the greatest influence on what you sort of enjoy to eat and what you enjoy to cook? So it's going to have to be a combination of New York and San Francisco. So I think I have a lot of food memories from New York, especially in the beginning of the block. I would try to do these things that kind of mashed up like influences of both, you know. So I kind of go back to that when I'm feeling very nostalgic and I want to reminisce about something like the freshness of the foods in San Francisco, the markets. I feel very blessed to, to live here right now and I hope I can live here for a long time, but you never know. So, yeah, I mean, I just you can't help but be influenced by the freshness of everything here and just be inspired. Now, Liren, on a random regular Tuesday evening, what would you make for dinner? Okay. Well, if it's any season and if it's just a random and I want something quick, I would probably cook something that I grew up eating just because it's fast. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to stress about it. If I'm not photographing it, <laughs> I can just bang it out in half an hour. And that would probably be something like my chicken adobo or menudo, which I actually haven't posted yet, or even my noodles, which I kind of associate as like happy celebratory food, but I can bang it out so fast now that, you know, I might do noodles. If it's summer, I would grill because then I could pass it off to my husband and say, hey, here you go. Can you cook it for me? <laughs> right. Perfect. Well, Liren, you're a mom. When you became a parent, did it change the way you cooked and what you made? Oh, yeah, definitely. I will admit that I probably ate more junk food before I had kids. And when I say junk food, I mean like I would indulge in fast food once in a while. Like now I really feel like I haven't been to, I mean, okay, Shake Shack doesn't count or In-N-Out. <laughs> But, you know, I can't tell you the last time I had fast food. So that also reflects in how I cook and I try to make it more wholesome. That said, like what I feel is most important to them is to just pass along a lot of the foods that I grew up eating. So that hasn't changed. I just think that maybe my approach to it has changed. Like maybe I'll remove the skin off the chicken. You know, I try to make it more healthy. But yeah, no, other than that, not too much. And have they shown an interest in cooking? Yeah, but I think at the same time, they might suffer from what I suffered growing up because there's a little bit of intimidation, you know, growing up, my aunts were great cooks and my cousins like all were pretty, you know, handy in the kitchen and I didn't feel like I was. But I will say that my kids like to experiment. So my son, we made pasta the other day and he was, just, I think it was more of the machine. <laughs> he wanted to pass it through the roller and so once in a while they do, but I'm kind of hoping that they'll cook a little more with me. Now, for new parents or even just those who have really busy schedules where cooking is more of a routine and chore, how can we make cooking fun again? I think to make it fun, you actually have to plan. That sounds terrible because I think spontaneity is more fun. But when you have your day to day and you know that you have a limited amount of time to cook and get everybody fed and everybody's getting hungry. You really do have to plan. But I think the way you can make it fun is try to like pick a different ingredient that maybe you want to, like I know it's very easy to fall into a rut. I fall into ruts all the time going food shopping. So when that happens, I tell my husband, can you please go food shopping? Cause he will go and like buy all the interesting things. And it's almost like having like a chopped basket, you know, so something like that, just as simple as like, okay, pick a different protein that you normally wouldn't try and then make it simple by doing, you know, like easy marinades and doing a lot of the prep work in advance if you can. And then don't overwhelm yourself picking like long drawn out recipes. Keep it simple. And usually those taste better anyway. 
here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe a little bit about the story behind the dish? Sure. Actually, I made it last night. <laughs> it's called arascaldo, which basically when you translate it means hot rice, but it's like a congee. So it's chicken and rice soup with garlic and ginger and then you top it with scallions and you can go a little crazy with toppings but I keep it simple the kids call it sick soup because whenever anyone is sick that's the soup I make and that's the one thing I know they will eat you know it's soothing it's comfort food I can make it really fast so that is like my favorite comfort food dish and I've learned recently because I just got a rice cooker which is hilarious because I never had a rice cooker <laughs> Asian person without a rice cooker and my husband got it. Yeah, it's like you're holding out on purpose. I know. Well, it's so funny because I'm just like, I don't need a rice cooker. I can just put it in a pot and my husband, like for my birthday, gave me a rice cooker. But I realized I could make it in there. So yesterday, that's what I did. It was great. Awesome. Well, let's say that you were making this sick soup and you can invite any three famous people over to share it with. Who would you invite over? Oh, sick soup. <laughs> it seems so basic. I'm almost embarrassed. I need to like amp it up. I know my daughter is crazy about Taylor Swift, but... Why not? <laughs> why not? Would she like six soup? It's good for your vocal cords, like maybe right before like her concert. Let me think about that one, Gabriel. I'm like blanking out. <laughs> That's okay. So let's say that you have Taylor Swift coming over and you're sharing the six soup with Taylor Swift and your family. <laughs> what movie would you pair with your six soup? Okay, so I don't normally like watching TV while we eat. Well, I shouldn't say that. When I was younger, I did. But like we have a rule that, you know. So I would want something that was kind of in the background that we all know and are familiar. So I think I'd pick The Sound of Music. And then we could just sing along when the feeling struck us. Awesome. Well, I call the next part of the Dinner Special Podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? Sure. Okay, perfect. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? Okay, we don't watch a lot of TV, but we do watch Top Chef. And does Tony Bourdain's No Reservations count? Yeah, those two right now. Okay. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? I was going to say Thought for Food with Brian Samuels, but I think he's been on your show, so everybody knows about him now, right? No, it's great. I mean, I Thought for Food is awesome. There's too many. I'm like thinking of my Feedly. I'm like, who's on there? No. <laughs> a thought for food is perfect. <laughs> no, there's got to be more. Right? That's ridiculous. I feel like so many of the blogs out there are popular. Oh, so Two Red Bulls is another one. Has she been on the show yet? No, she has not. <laughs> no. Okay. I like her. I feel like she's under the radar and Hummingbird High. Number three. Who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube that make you happy? Okay, on YouTube, I used to follow Happy Slip. Have you ever heard of her? She's a Filipino-American, like, comedian. She used to do, like, little skits. She's kind of tapered off because she started a family. But once in a while, she'll still post things on there. I think she's hilarious because she captures all of those stereotypes so well. On Instagram, I follow way too many people. Like My feed is just crazy and a lot of food bloggers. But I think the ones that surprise me the most are people who are really into food, don't necessarily have food blogs that I know of because <laughs> it's not on their profile. But Bernazette is one of them. 
There's Abby's farmhouse kitchen. She's up in Sonoma. She's got a winery with her husband. And I love seeing what she's doing in the kitchen. She's very adventurous and she's, you know, got some young kids and they had duck the other night, for example. And so it's exciting to see what other people are cooking who don't necessarily have blogs. And I find like the engagement on Instagram is really fascinating there. And I think on Instagram, it's kind of like a quicker way to sort of get a picture of a blog, I guess. Even if they don't have a blog, it's sort of just like, it's just a picture and a comment and then all of the people are engaging at once. So it's kind of like a mini blog, I guess. (laughs) It's micro blogging. I think it counts as blogging. Yeah, I would count it. (laughs) Number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? So other than that ratty old binder with my mom's handwriting, I went through a phase where I was collecting vintage cake stands, like vintage pressed glass from like the 1800s. So I have a few of those and it's really weird. I just find them super precious and we've moved many times and I still can't get rid of them. I don't use them all the time except for like special occasions like Thanksgiving. But yeah, it would be my binder and then those cake stands. (laughs) Number five. Name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. Oh, that's easy. Cilantro. (laughs) Growing up, I was like, this is gross. I would pick them out of the noodles, you know, throw them away. And now I'm just like eating it raw. (laughs) I have to have cilantro in the house all the time. And I put it in almost too many things, actually. Okay, number six. What are a few cookbooks that make your life better? You know, there are some cookbooks that are surprises to me. I reviewed a cookbook last year called The Green Market Cookbook. That was a really nice surprise. There were so many stories behind all the farmers who sell their goods at Green Market. I loved reading the recipes that all the chefs back east would do with, you know, the food that they got at Green Market. That was a nice surprise. And then like just little things like I like cookbooks that surprise me. So the other one was the Union Square Cafe cookbook. My daughter bought it. She was doing a camp one summer and she went into the library. They were selling old books. And she's like, oh, mommy, I got your present. I'm like, oh, thanks. It turned out to be an amazing cookbook. So those things make me happy when it's a book that I just did not expect to wow me. Awesome. And finally, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? Oh, Jack Johnson, Making Banana Pancakes. When that's on, it's like instant happy and I want to make pancakes. (laughs) It's great on a Saturday morning. Perfect. Well, congratulations, Liren. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Good. (laughs) Liren, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. Now, you're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? Well... Obviously, there's my blog at kitchenconfidant.com. Instagram is probably one of the easiest, but pretty much on any social media, I'm kitchenconfidant. So if they have to shorten it, there's not enough characters. But Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Well, thank you again, Liren, for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. I hope you had fun. I did. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.